football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports now you're welcome along football show Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent has entered the studio good evening evening Joe Manchester City have gone from 3-0 up to 4-0 up all of a sudden 5-1 on aggregate against Leipzig they're currently celebrating Gundogan with Manchester City's fourth Erling Haaland with a hat-trick and I think we can safely say they're through to the knockout stages Dan Yeah I, I mean it's easy to say a 4-0 up I did fancy them to go through this season comfortably but not maybe that comfortably if you know what I mean I, like I sort of was one of those where I felt there would be no real stress for them but it's actually turning into a bit of a, a thrashing um, from Leipzig's perspective very good goal from uh, Gundogan I think they're, we're doing that usual post goal thing of checking if there's anything for VAR to have a look at but um, it's all pretty clear cut very it's high all quality pretty strike clear cut yeah really good goal so the uh, first half sitting on top Haaland first goal was a penalty it was a real the game is gone kind of a moment penalty where ball was headed towards uh, defender's arm I wouldn't have said the arm was dramatically away from body. It was enough away from body to call VAR in. Referee went over to the sideline and gave the penalty, gave a yellow card. I don't think it should be a penalty, but it's a penalty. Haaland scores that. And then within 30 seconds to a minute, De Bruyne hits what I would liken to Roberto Di Matteo's volley in an FA Cup final a long time ago, Dan, against Middlesbrough. In the early stages, De Bruyne rifles uh, volley, underside of the crossbar, doesn't go in on this occasion, comes out to Haaland who jumps and does really well actually, gets right up to head the ball into an empty net. And then the third goal is corner. Man City have been dangerous from corners all evening and uh, ball is headed across the goal line and defender clears it but Haaland anticipates the clearance and blocks it into the net. So that was 3-0 at halftime, game over and now Gundogan has uh, just added some uh, cherry to the icing, to the cake, etc. In the other game, by the way, Inter Milan went into their away tie against Porto 1-0 up and it is nil all on the night. So Inter still 1-0 up in this round of 16, a tie on aggregate. So that's about where we are in the Champions League this evening. Uh, I always thought you'd take Cheltenham week off. Oh, I mean, I, I pretty much do, yeah. I just come in to see you for an hour here. Oh, so you're off paper duty. Oh yeah, yeah. Clear the decks. Well, I mean, it's actually, to be honest, I mean, um, it's not the it's not the worst week in the world to be off because you're heading into international week is upon us. International fortnight is upon us. I mean, this time next week, well, actually, this time next week it'll be twenty four hours out from Ireland, Latvia. But you know, the first game of the international year is is upon us. So um, yeah, it gets it gets very busy. So. It's always a week. Apparently there's some other sporting events on this week, some pretty big sporting events on this week, not just Cheltenham. So um, it's a good time to, to just uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Latvia on the Thursday, France on a Monday. No, Wednesday. Wednesday is Latvia. So, um, and then France on the Monday the 27th. Yeah. So France playing Holland on the 24th as well. It's probably another date to note mm. on the Friday night. So well, actually, it's unusual. You're going to have a really big game in Ireland's group that you'll be able to see that it won't clash with an Ireland game at the same night, which yeah. is often often the case. So, got a chance to have a good look at them. Mick just told me, both live and off the ball. So, I've just discovered I'll be at both games. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I'll see you there. What a luxurious position to find yourself in. Yeah. How blessed. I yeah. mean, uh, I was, uh, well, I, to be fair, I did know the 
I looked a long time ago to see what night the France match was on and figured Monday. I'd like to think you, you wouldn't be I so blasé about no. the gig that you would not know you were going to. Latvia, run. I was less sure, I'll be honest. Uh, but France, just the thought of being there to see Mbappe and obviously the game itself was high on the agenda. So um, what's the word on the squad come Thursday? Um, well, I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, you, there's always that danger of last minute injuries. I don't I don't think there's anything that's come over the horizon. There was a few players missing at the weekend. Cuevin Kelleher, Shane Duffy. Duffy hasn't been playing anyway. Kelleher hasn't been playing anyway. Um, but uh, Haaland again, just scored his fourth, sorry. Oh, there we go. And City's fifth. He had a few bites at it. There was a brilliant header. I mean, if you're watching the highlights at any stage, just note the sheer athleticism of this header on Haaland's part. It's outrageous. I mean, it really is. The header was saved, came back to him and just uh, whacked it in with his left foot. And uh, as is customary, they cut to dad in the crowd who is jumping around with mates. His dad's having a grand time at the moment, isn't he? That's, I mean, that's a great... It's, it's just in a... Generally, life is spent in a corporate box celebrating his son's... Yeah, dad. and like particularly as, to be fair, anyone who plays like Premier League football and internationally at a good level as um, Alfinga did, like it can be reasonably very proud of their own career. And yet he's getting to live through a, an entire second mm. career now, just on another level. It's a bit of a sort of a Joss Verstappen, Max Verstappen vibe in some ways. You know, it's like you got to a certain level, but like then the next one is a freak, mm. you know. And uh, I mean, I wonder what the cumulative distance of his goals tonight, Haaland, will be, you know, sort of close, close range. 12 yards. 12 yards. Yeah, I, can, I have an idea. The first one. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, the others. He might just about break 30. Would you get 12 more between the rest of them? You know, potentially. But yeah. You were saying? I can't remember what I was saying. Yeah, the, 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 the squad, I think like Mikey Johnson would probably be in the squad who's the new recruit. How good is um, Mikey Johnson? Don't really know is the honest answer. So um, I, I had a look at his highlights reel when he was uh, Irish qualified. Yeah. There's a lot there to like, but obviously highlights aren't to the full package to say the least. Yeah, so like, I mean... I suppose you know there'd be Celtic fans sort of listening, watching who who would have watched a lot of Mikey Johnston, who would have broken the scene as a very exciting young player. Um, it's technically very good. Or, yeah, a very good dribbler. I mean, that's the thing for Stephen Kenny. He's always spoken about wanting a player who's a real uh, who can dribble and take people on. I, I always thought when he was maybe speaking about his disappointment that Aaron Connolly hadn't pushed on. Like he had a very pointed comment about how Aaron Connolly. And this was actually striking that with the 21s, Aaron Connolly dribbled, was a real dribbler, uh, made things happen by going past people. And that Kenny said maybe Aaron Connolly had lost that skill a little bit. Um, he'd, he'd evolved in such a way that maybe that had come out of his game. So he's always wanted that type of player in the squad. You know, someone, in fact, like across Stephen Kenny's career, he's always had a thing about wingers. You know, he's always, like he had Paddy McCourt at Derry, Back in the day, you know, Daryl Horgan when he was at Dundalk, who at that level like, was exceptionally good. And he's, he's always had teams with those type of people who can make something happen. I think he sees probably Mikey Johnson as a player who can make things happen. What's up in the air is his ability to make it happen, I suppose, at an international level. Um, now, at Celtic, he was doing very well until his first long-term injury. And then um, I do think that as a club sometimes where like you're, you're in the spotlight very early and then if you begin to disappoint a bit, it can be you can become old news very quickly. So he went out to Portugal, a fresh start alone, and started the season very well, and and all the reports were positive. The concern would be that he hasn't been playing very much in recent weeks. Um, that would be um, the worry, that it did appear his trajectory was sort of moving upwards towards Christmas, and maybe since then um, he's hit a little bit of a, 
a loss of form. I don't know why that is. Um, but Kenny certainly seems to think that there's always going to be a room in a, that he'll he'll make room in the squad for someone like that. And and he's I suppose gone on record to say he, he thinks he'll have a big part to play in the campaign. But sort of cavalied at that by saying maybe not necessarily this month, but that Latvia game. Um, I would see no reason if he's in the squad, um, not to not to chuck him in there. There was talk that Shane Duffy would do well to make the squad as Manchester City and Erling Haaland score another goal. Every time I turn around, he seems to be celebrating a goal. Every time his dad sits back down in his chair, he scored again. He's up again with his mates. So it's City 6-0, 7-1 in the night. Again, they've cut to dad in the crowd. They just need (laughs) to like save some of their goals here, don't they? Not at all. Save them for when they need them. Erling Haaland. Haaland is meant to be the difference in the Champions League. But he's not the five. I mean, he has scored five goals. Gazillion goals. You know, he's feeding on this. They want one when it's a tight semi-final he'll score one in a tight semi-final too this is a, he's a true goal extrovert Dan he, he gets energy from this this is not diminishing I mean again battery. It's, he's, he's just having like a really nice day for just everything falling in his direction yeah every time he turns around the ball falls to him in the box yeah and like I mean I would say that generally with a striker that's brilliant movement they're in the right place but some of these he has just been a little bit With its er- whenever it's early in Haaland I just assume there's innate movement happening like like the, the third goal the, the, the hat-trick goal that was like instinct following up to block in fact the first two but I think that one is probably the luckiest one in the sense of the keeper with an unusual well, he's at punch eight, in his direction 8 attempts 8 on target 5 goals if Guardiola takes him off now I won't be happy we want 10 do we? yeah just for sheer hilarity of Erling Haaland scoring 10 goals in a game. Just to get you through to Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like... We'll always remember it. We're not going to remember the night he scored five. Yeah. It's not like you're not really an iconic fixture. You know, Man City and Leipzig. I was just asking, Shane Duffy was in danger of missing out. Yeah, I think he's in trouble. Um, I think the the issue you would have as well is that, like, it's a position where Ireland are pretty well stocked. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with Darrow O'Shea, with John Egan, with Nathan Collins, albeit Collins has, has only come off the bench recently. And, and who's on if one of those is injured? I would. Uh, Kenny's a big fan of Andrew Omoma Bedele, who is now back. Um, also, Seamus Coleman is probably an option in the right of the back three. He has been playing regularly. Um, I mean, I suppose it is. It is one game here we're talking about. You're talking about France, and you're. I guess you're thinking, okay, what? how are you going to approach the France game? And of course, you're right, there's an injury. But you would assume that, like, <laughs> for that game, he's probably going to be happy enough with either John Egan or Nathan Collins in the centre. Is he going to put in, in any scenario, a Shane Duffy who hasn't played, who isn't sharp, to play against a team where you would think the main, well, I mean, obviously the main threat you're worried about Mbappe, but a particular team that plays at real pace and power. If If it's a game where... You think you're going to be defending the box a lot? Um, I can understand why, but for the very nature of this test, I would assume like match sharp players to play in the back three would be high up the list okay. of priorities. So I'd say Duffy being a tricky, but you might might still have him in the squad, the extended squad. But I mean, I can't see any scenario where he plays. And to ask what will be the most asked question of the week? Will Evan Ferguson start? I mean, I just think with every week, the case for him starting gets stronger and stronger. Like, I probably spoke six weeks ago, whenever Evan Ferguson really exploded at Premier League level. And my probably instinct at that point was that, nah, like, you know, I I just can't see him starting against France. I think, you know, Kenny probably has tried things out with various options and his forward line and... um, 
you know would he want to I, like it's probably just wrong way of thinking like you know did he would he want to sort of a real counter attack in number nine in that game um but actually like you just watch Ferguson every week and the quality of his all round play is so good he's played against Kanate twice he holds the ball up well and actually brings others into the game which helps relieve pressure against the t- you know for a team that might be under the cosh so I think it is I mean I think there's a little bit of a dilemma then because you have to figure out well what partnerships do I need to form and he was in the squad in November at least so it's not his first time meeting the players he did come on for a couple of games but it feels like he's just even a different animal since then mm. like you're looking tonight like Troy Parrott who I think has done very well for Kenny but like he's on the bench for Preston um, you know away to Rotherham um, ah, has he generally been on the bench um, no he's been involved but like there's actually Tom Cannon who's has been involved in Irish underage squads on loan from Everton he scored again tonight he scored in the last couple of games he actually seems to be ahead of Parrot in the moment even though speaking to people about Cannon I think he's more of a like a poacher type of striker um, but anyway that's by the by like when you have maybe Troy Parrot in that situation you've Adam Ida who's back but again in and out of the side at Norwich I'd be a big fan of Ida actually Obafemi okay he's coming off the bench for Burnley and they're going to go up and he's a talent and Ogbeni has been very solid and very good for Rotherham but Evan Ferguson's doing it every week in the Premier League like, like, I, I don't I think sometimes there's a tendency for like you know fans or people just to, to sort of go he's playing in the Premier League he has to play and like it, it sort of doesn't have respect for the process of trying to build a team and a squad and an understanding but this is a sustained like this isn't just someone who's made two appearances you know and three appearances uh, and sometimes you, you have these calls for players off the back of that which wouldn't always be rational I think in this instance like he's playing at such a level like he's 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 played more Premier League football in the last month than most of those other options mentioned have in their entire career like Adam Eda had a good spell last year Obafemi's had spells but probably never been a prolonged starter for you know a run of a run of games at that level, he hasn't. Looking at Obafemi at Swansea, there are twenty six appearances across the season, but we're talking two goals since the first of November. Now, admittedly, yeah. there were two in February, so that's good. But again, compared to Ferguson's body of work right now, yeah. Well, he had like he had his. Well, the thing about Obafemi was he had that sag over leaving Swansea. Like he eventually left in January to join Burnley, um, but. Like the, he was in the bad books with with Swansea, so he actually wasn't involved for like large portions of the season. And now he's gone to Burnley, who are flying, who are like strolling to promotion, and they're just sort of using him off the bench, like with an established squad. So, I, like I wouldn't be looking at just stats for Obafemi this year. I wouldn't really tell the story of his year at all. It's just more. It's just more the case that um, what Ferguson is doing and even just the way that he plays, the maturity that he plays. The one concern you would have is that Brighton are brilliant, right? But as like, the, the Brighton are brilliant, they have such a brilliant game plan and they're like, he's clearly working with them every week, every day. He, is, he has come into Premier League football with an understanding of his role with players around them yeah. and now he's going to come into an international setup where just things operate in a slightly different way in terms of how much time they have together the time you have and you're selling me all the negatives here well I'm not I'm just like I, well I, I mean put them so, in oh yeah well, like, just throw them in and expect them to look like elevate them like an NBA star just sort of like build it like I mean I'm just trying to explain why that may not happen like I think I think there's a real danger of like people going oh god if, if he's taken off after 65 minutes after being ineffective oh Jesus you know it's like, well, there's, there's logical reasons why that could easily happen. 
Agreed. I hear all that. I would presume somebody's hands on a Stephen Kenny is potentially already in communication with Ferguson. Uh, he's been talked to about the game plan. Oh, There's yeah. a, a yeah. fair amount of preparation that they'll have, not least the Latvia game. So I think like, like this guy's able to take on information and play within a system. I mean, I think he can definitely take on board the Kenny plan. No, no, I, I completely, I'm not doubting. Why are you um, talking down? <laughs> have we clipped this? <laughs> now, you see, I'm not talking down M. Ferguson at all. I'm just saying the realities, like, of, the realities of like expecting him to, to slot in. Like, it, like he's incredibly good and I've no doubt he's going to be around for a long time. Mm. And, and I think, you know, he, the Garden's chances of getting to tournaments in the next 15 years have improved because Evan Ferguson has come along. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's it's just like it's it's been measured enough about what he can deliver in the in the short term, um, and that's uh, like Kenny has played this three four two one at times or like a three four three at times. And again with Ferguson, you know who do you play off? Him? I think there's like and I think you know there's no doubt that Kenny and this is the thing about Kenny and the staff. The one thing, no matter what people will end up saying about Stephen Kenny whenever he does leave. I think even, you know, I don't think, I think even sort of people maybe around the FBI who may not be mad about him, they'll never deny the work that this, this staff will put in in terms of like their prep and, and the meetings they will have. But this is something that I think has come a little bit ahead of schedule for them, Ferguson breaking through. And it's just led them to evaluate like, okay, can you play Parrot and Ferguson together? Do you need, and against France, like what you're going to need off the ball in certain situations? And like, it's a real, like they're going to have to put a lot of work into that. And the Lafayette game is great for confidence yeah. and understanding, but clearly like playing against Lafayette versus playing against France is just like a completely different sport almost so um, it's it's what they try and get from that first game that can be useful in some way for the second game and if you play like if you want to play Ferguson and Obafemi I just don't think you do that against France maybe that's what you want to do longer term but then that influences like the shape and the structure behind you and how the team operates You wanted to mention the new shape of World Cups going forward well, yeah, I mean, there's a few other things going on. Like, I probably mentioned Ireland under 17 at some stage as well, qualifying, which is linked to that. But, I mean, we do have the confirmation today. Well, the FIFA Congress is in Rwanda this week. Um, Gianni Infantino will be uh, standing on a post. So he's, he's his Constitution Hill style favourite to, uh, <laughs> to, to get over the line. In fact, I think um, maybe even a more resounding favourite. You know, you, um, the odds in the double wouldn't have been wouldn't have been very favourable. Who's the honeysuckle uh, of the football world? The honeysuckle of the football world. <laughs> to get this going. I mean, I feel like this this is only going to bring us down a bad road. If I go down that way, I'm not I'm not even sure. Um, the persistent, uh, yeah. No, no, I'm I'm going to stop with that one. Um, I don't even know who that is. Um, but what I do know is that uh, Infantino will be re-elected and he is well down the road towards potentially being in charge till 2031 oh, and what we're no. seeing is I just don't want to be talking about Gianni Infantino well you will be you will be yeah I, like, I mean like he, he, he quite skillfully pointed out that even though he took over um, he took over and had quite a long term when he initially took over um, the role um, from um, from Bladder that doesn't count as one full term so he's entitled to like the full quota of like whatever three full terms what it is he's entitled all right yeah of course he is so anyway uh, it has been confirmed that and I think on balance right the 48 team World Cup was in place they had this plan for 16 groups of three um, which in my view would have been a disaster now the 48 team World Cup is in place 
I mean, we've had the 32 team World Cup there, which aside from where it was, is the perfect competition in terms of the format, the shape of it. You just couldn't. I mean, why would you fix it like when it's not broken? But you're FIFA, so of course you do. You know, so that's already done. But in a way, it's like, but that that's game over. Ball burst now. That's gone. Within the 48 team World Cup, the idea of a three team group was just leading you open to all sorts of like shambolic situations. So they have now confirmed probably the best case scenario of it is to do 12 groups of four but it's going to make the competition a week and a half longer or a week longer basically so you have more games um, a lot more of a slog you know a sort of a five and a half week tournament now which I mean if it's great football like that's fantastic um, and I still think it's better than the alternative I have to say within the 48 team like it is one thing to say well the best is what was there already but that's gone that ship has sailed because it's in line with a lot of FIFA policies and football tournaments generally make them bigger because it's politically better when you are elected by virtue of a sort of a first past the post system when everyone has an equal vote of whatever 211 nations so you get like 48 of them in result you know? so in all these group stages we'll still have top two qualify and then eight of the next uh, best so third place in eight groups will go through in effect We'll have 32 teams through to the knockout stages. It appears to be the case, yeah. yeah. So 16 teams will go home. I think they have to like finalise some of the regu- yeah. like still absolute nil of the regulations, but that does seem to be the thing. Yeah. The like the, Euro- the 24 team Euros is not like not dissimilar. Like third place is generally fine. The yeah. final um, batch of matches in the group stages at the World Cup just gone were incredibly good those nights. Yeah. They were sensational. And now... <laughs> Now, will it just be a bit of a dud? Well, I suppose like there were combinations in those nights where like teams like that, that Spain, Germany group, Costa Rica, like at, at one point it wasn't Germany bottom, like, but it's obviously harder now. I suppose the argument is a bit more like seeding, you know, it's like if you become a third place team, are you more likely to have a, you know, a heavyweight game? But but obviously, we you know, in the round of the round of 32, but like what we do know is by more teams in the competition there's obviously a strong chance that um, you know, there's a strong chance that you're going to have less depth in groups that the bigger teams now I do think to be fair what we did see at the World Cup is that you sometimes are very dismissive of the teams in, in Asia and other confederations so I think we'll get used to it and I still think it's better than the alternative but obviously the perfect World Cup has been broken also this Club World Cup is coming out every four years um, and this is part of their big thing as well um, and Irish fans will be sort of quite interested in this that we're so used to the rhythm of the international year where it's like a games in September games in October games in November from 2026 they're turning that September October two windows into one so you're going to have this like 16 day window with four games I think that's really every good every year um, I think it's really good if you're a bigger nation I think for a smaller one if your entire year ends up revolving around two weeks and you know uh, Evan Ferguson gets a three week knock that's that's not great you know? too much negativity to me here it's a festival of international well no I think you're just thinking oh, you're probably just thinking oh, less international breaks that's basically what you're probably thinking no I was thinking that like there'd be a mini tournament feel to it like we could all really park the Premier League or park club football and say right we've got these four matches across these two weeks everybody really gets stuck into it well yeah but the rest of the campaign is, is going to be at a rhythm of like two game windows I can live with that too yeah I'm just declaring a slight preference for the let a, a month of Irish talk down with you and me. <laughs> it's just, yeah, like you know, I can see. Yes, I'm not going to suggest you're going to book your holidays for that time. Sometimes, what? you know, just you know, just take it. 
Sorry, no, I'm all in on that. I mean, that, we'll still me, be having a Stephen Kenny debate in 2026, probably. Yeah, that's I, I mean, we probably will. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely, I think there's a degree of right. Let's really have it. No, I, I liked. I did like. I will say that the Nations League won last year with the four game brilliant. window. Yeah. By the end of it, you felt like Ireland were hitting their stride. Um, See, you don't like it because. Uh, you'll just get so much you just hate the, the culture war that the Irish team is you're, you're just thinking oh my god a month of social media yeah. in my life but, but park all that I think like the, it will be like a mini World Cup for you well the only thing as I would say is that it is part of it is linked with the moves to try and make this Club World Cup a thing like they need to make room yeah. in the calendar for the Club World Cup to say we're going to try and rush through our own version of a, of a club tournament here to rival UEFA's one so something has to give so okay. it's not that it's necessarily been brought in for the right reasons I would say anyway um, Fair enough And this Club World Cup like you know 32 team no more than two from one country unless I think one has won the Champions League there's a couple of provisions for that um, where that goes where that sits into the calendar um, it does feel like you know it, a lot of these discussions like the long World Cup um, like there's going to be like if someone like Kylian Mbappe like what how many games are you going to end up playing in his career you know at that point like 25, 26 20, 25, 26 like already there is this t- number of games you have to play in a year this Qatar year is exceptional but imagine like some of the top end players who are going to a Club World Cup and, and expect to be involved in the business end of major tournaments I do think at some stage there is going to be a kickback from player unions about this yeah. you know about sort of um, some sort of player welfare issues I know some people think oh like pampered but I mean, it is true. Like careers burn out sometimes through through some of this stuff, and um, we love football, but you can have too much. And and the Premier League isn't going to see it any ground on its scheduling because naturally that's such a monster. You know, the Champions League is moving to this elaborate Swiss format, which is more games. So, like, what gives at some stage? Yeah, players' bodies, I suppose. But yeah, that is the point. And we'll take it as read. None of these things are being done for the right reasons. That's uh, oh no, it's yeah, yeah. Henry Winter just tweeted incredible numbers from Erling Haaland. He now has thirty nine goals for Manchester City for the season. He beats Tommy Johnson's club record, which was set in nineteen twenty nine, and there are a possible nineteen games remaining. So Haaland is on thirty nine goals with a possible nineteen games remaining. That's in all competitions. He's just left the field to a standing ovation. For a minute there, I was thinking of Tommy Johnson who played in the Premier League in the no. late 90s. I don't think he played for City. Where does uh, Alfie Hall and his mates have just left the stadium carrying Alfie out on their shoulders, chanting, drinking beers, loving life. <laughs> That's the Tuesday end. night, like, you know. Uh, football shows brought to you with Sky. Watch Real Madrid, Liverpool in the Champions League tomorrow night live in BT Sport. We're going to check in over in Madrid, actually, in just a moment. And uh, Dan mentioned the Irish under 17. So we'll be back with you in one second. The Koi Gig Pod. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. You're welcome back. Joe Mlo here. Don McDonald as well. Manchester City 6-0 up on the night 7-1 on aggregate. Erling Haaland in devastating form. Still nil all between Porto and Inter. Inter 1-0 up on the night. Dan, what chance do you give Liverpool tomorrow? Um, I just can't see it happening. I, I know, like you're, I think you were just maybe discussing it earlier, there is a sense of well, the Champions League always delivers. You feel like it, it does, but 
actually, I mean, this round of 16, it's been a limited element of it. Like, even that Spurs-Milan game last week, flat, even, even PSG's exit, like, you thought there might be a bit more going on. It's like, nah, maybe just, I mean, come on. It's not going to happen, is this? You tell me, you tell me, you tell me. Uh, it's hard to disagree. Semra Hunter is with us, La Liga TV presenter. Semra, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So Carlo Ancelotti was speaking uh, this afternoon ahead of the game and and I, he meant it very sincerely. He was saying it's a strange fixture for Real Madrid to approach. We're all looking at this from Liverpool's point of view and for them it's fairly obvious they're going to have to have a real go at this. It's kind of tricky when you've got a three-goal lead. I mean, do we sit? Do we go? What do we do? So uh, in, in a perverse way, it's tricky-ish in terms of preparation for Madrid. It is, and that's the conundrum. I think you hit the nail on the head. He even used the word in Spanish, trampa, which means trap. And he says, we need to be really mentally and psychologically prepared for this game because historically Madrid don't actually do very well whenever they have such a big lead. And when they can take their foot off the gas, it tends to actually work against them a little bit. And I think Chelsea comes to mind from last season when they took a 3-1 lead back from Stamford Bridge. And then all of a sudden they found themselves 3-0 down at the Santiago Bernabeu and Rodrigo had to come off the bench and save the day really late on in the game. So I think they will have learned lessons from the past. But you're absolutely right. It's going to be about concentration, about focus and about how do we attack this game. Ancelotti knows that Liverpool are going to come out swinging because they have to. They have to go guns blazing. They have no other choice to do so. There's a three-goal difference. So they have to at least equalise things by scoring three or win by scoring four, unless it were to go into extra time and penalties. So they're going to come out on the ultra attack, I would imagine, Liverpool, which means they're going to have to take risks. And so Liverpool may be exposed. They may have some spaces, which Real Madrid can then attack. They can use to their benefit. But Ancelotti said he expects a really open game. And I think that they would really like to go on the offensive as well, which, to be honest, kind of seems like a little bit of a surprise. I would have thought that they would maybe want to try and contain Liverpool a little bit more and figure out how maybe how to deal with the high press that Liverpool will definitely be throwing at them. But you're right. It is, I think, ultimately about finding this balance between knowing when to attack and when to defend. But they know that they do have a very good advantage. There's no question about that. But Liverpool, on their day, they can score seven, right? Like they did against Mm. Manchester United. So you never know. (laughs) Mm. There was something so impressive about Madrid at Anfield in that they Mm. are up against a side who are still very good when they want to be and can be very good in patches and they go two goals down. And there was no hint of nervousness or anxiety or wavering on their part and you know you could see all the experience to the fore and then in the second half they were just a joy to watch so I'm not watching La Liga week in week out but I thought it was just an awesome performance for for various reasons and I do wonder why they're nine points behind Barcelona in the table was that performance at Anfield a cut above what they've been uh, producing across the league summer or, or what would you say of Madrid's general form? say it has to do more with the type of rival that they come up against um in liverpool you have a highly offensive side like i say that plays with a high line that gives spaces for players like Vinicius junior to run into or kareem benzema who can be absolutely devastating against liverpool in la liga smaller teams mid-table teams they tend to go much more on the defensive so they'll sit deep they'll park the bus they'll put five at the back they won't leave many spaces for Real Madrid. And so it's very difficult for them to then crack the code and to find ways 
to actually breach defenses and to score a lot of goals. And so I think they struggle a lot more against those types of setups when they put nine or 10 men behind the ball. And so they almost have no other choice but to take shots from distance because if they try to get to the area inside the box, they often run into a lot of traffic and they won't necessarily have a lot of creativity to sort things out because they don't really use a lot of patterns of play. They do kind of just rely on individual brilliance at times to sort them out because that's just Real Madrid. They're that good, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say they actually enjoy playing against teams like Liverpool to a degree in the sense that it does allow for a much more open game, for a more end-to-end game. And it does allow for Real Madrid to utilize their strengths in a much more powerful way, such as the speed and the velocity of a Vinicius Jr. down the left, which is predominantly what they always do. I mean, they love to find him. That is pretty much the number way, uh, the number one way in which Real Madrid like to attack. Yes. So I would say in some ways it's down more to that than anything else, okay. just who they have in front of them. Well, speaking of individual brilliance, Kareem Benzema is back, which just makes things trickier again for Liverpool. Um, As we sign off, there is an extraordinary story developing in Spanish football. So uh, Spanish football enduring its worst ever moment, according to the La Liga president, Javier Tebas, uh, speaking last night. And so... I kind of I've been aware of this in the in the background without without paying too much heed to it. But in short, mm. last week, Spanish prosecutors charged Barcelona with corruption after payments of more than seven million euro to a company owned by a former referee in chief were uncovered earlier this year. So they have been charged, and this seems like an extraordinary uh, story. Is there any good reason why Barcelona had might have given seven million euro to a company owned by a former referee in chief? Well, what they say, their defense, is that it was for technical reports on referees, which they claim that everybody in the elite level does. Um, however, they claim that they're innocent, that they've done absolutely nothing wrong. Laporta's come out saying that um, they have all these documentation to prove their innocence. They have voice notes, they have invoices, they have all these kinds of things, and they're willing to participate in the investigation that's going to be carried out against them. But again, it's a very tricky matter indeed. It was going on for a very long time. And it 1994 the, to 2018. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It will be a very difficult job, I think, for the prosecutors to prove that Barcelona did it with intent. And in fact, that's all they need. They need to prove that there was intent from Barcelona's end to influence referees, to get them to sway results in their favour, which is what they're arguing. And that is one of the ways in which they can find Barcelona guilty. They don't necessarily have to find evidence of it actually having happened. Now, even more news came out today, um, apparently from El Mundo, which is another newspaper here in Spain, which is continuing with this investigation, they're alleging that there are more clubs in the top flight and in the second division that have done the same thing. So they didn't name names yet. It sounds as though it's the tip of the iceberg, but it's definitely, as you rightly say, probably the worst crisis, at least PR crisis anyway, to begin with, um, that Spanish football has probably found itself in ever. And unfortunately, I think this is only the beginning of probably more to come. Okay. Okay, those are some expensive reports. Uh, Seven million. Yeah, Um, (laughs) no kidding. Semra, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks so much. Semra Hunter there from La Liga TV. Seven million. I mean, come on. Come on. The game is gone, as you said earlier, wasn't it? We're in the wrong game. Oh, listen. Uh, The Irish under 17s. Talk to us. 
Yeah, they're the first team to qualify for the uh, the European Under-17 Championships in Hungary in May, which is um, it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, they came through a group with Italy, Ukraine and Cyprus. Um, I don't know if pe- people might have seen this, that actually it looked like they had the hard work done before the final game against Cyprus, who were bottom, but they left it late. They got a 96th-minute goal. Um, it was 2-all. I think they would have been, in fact, they 99% would have been fine as a best second-place team if they hadn't scored um, in injury time but this was to win the group and be 100% true without needing to wait for all the other groups to finish and uh, yeah Nixon Adolhun from uh, from Bowes 96th minute come on the 94th minute and uh, Naj Razi um, with a brilliant through ball and a brilliant first touch by uh, Okasun sorry um, and he finishes it with his right foot and it's like, you know, fantastic. I mean, the the Ukraine game, Mason Media from St. Patrick's Athletics scored a hat-trick. He's 15. And not, this is an under-17 team, but quite a few of them are actually a year underage. Um, so this is like, it is exciting. Like, it's a good news story. It's, um, well, it's, it's, it is a good news story. I think I'm finding the negatives and everything tonight. They're coming. There's a, there's a chance one of them could be injured for the tournament. <laughs> They're coming. There's loads of them. Uh, like it is f- terrific. Like 16 of the team are, are with League of Ireland clubs. I suppose when the uh, the national underage leagues were brought in, it was obviously contentious. Now again, a lot of these players, I don't know the story behind each individual one, but I mean, I'm guessing quite a few of them would have been started off with with schoolboy clubs. But they certainly going to League of Ireland underage hasn't hurt them in terms of their development and hopefully like all the schoolboy clubs and League of Ireland clubs can feel a lot of pride at the role, role that they've all played and it's, it's shown that at that level under 17 level things are good now and under 19 level things are good as well but like, it's such a key age in terms of what we're discussing at the moment here like Evan Ferguson um, was somehow able to go um, at 16 to Brighton and uh, like his development between the age of 16 and 18 it meant that his progress continued a lot of these players are at that age now 15, 16 where you know, 5, 10 years ago these players just all go away en masse at 16 now clearly some will have options in Europe I'm guessing there will be interest in some of them um, but the majority will be staying at home which predominantly like, is a good thing you know, I mean, I think for the development, for their education, there's a lot of positives in terms of their social development and personal development. But what are we doing for them football-wise here? Um, and I think, like, in reality, um, a lot of these players will be integrated into first-team setups at clubs to train with, you know, adult players because that's the only way you can really give them full-time training. Like, you have a situation at the moment, I, I thought this was, I really hadn't really heard this before in Ireland. Sam Curtis at St. Patrick's Athletic, he's not in this squad, he's a bit older. He's 17. First player I've heard who's actually left school at Junior Cert in Ireland to play football in Ireland. Very unusual. Like he's basically full time with St. Patrick's Athletic. He finished school early. Um, but they are in the midst this year, the FEI, I think, of trying to go to government for like a, a funding plan for academies here because it was pointed out, I think Will Clark, who's the head of the League of Ireland Academies, pointed out that you know, this is even a bigger achievement because Ireland is one of only four countries in Europe that has less than one full-time staff member per senior club working in youth football, which is... So like the hands are tied behind the back here, really, to some degree. And actually what people are achieving is like incredibly impressive. But again, it's, it's like Ireland are sometimes a third-world country when it comes to the spending and, and facilities and the options that are available. And surely these things, you celebrate them, yes, but then you also say... Uh, okay, maybe like there's a real benefit in making sure that we're not always talking about what we're doing in spite of ourselves, mm. 
and think about what could be done actually if you had the, the building blocks in place to give players at that age a chance um, and I think that this success is brilliant but should also drive that agenda pretty hard No absolutely and uh, Kevin De Bruyne has scored for Manchester City really good goal curls it into the far corner right footed uh, annihilation complete really and it's funny Dan we were just talking on the news round you look at Irish rugby at the moment on yeah. the precipice of a grand slam uh, funded up to its eyeballs now admittedly at developmental level it's private schools but it's funded very well yeah. and then Irish horse racing yes. funded very very well by the taxpayer in part and the results are evident and there is such wealth in the country that it always beggars belief that the most popular sport along with GA, give or take, depending on how you measure these things, is so underfunded. So uh, it'd be great to see that funding plan given a thumbs up. It would, yeah. Like I mean, like I mean, a Man City have now finally outscored Blackpool tonight. Mick McCarthy's Blackpool have scored six goals in the championship. Andy Lyons has scored twice. Now there's Andy Lyons, a homegrown player, um, you know, who, who only Andy Lyons is about 22, 23, um, and he played in the League of Ireland for five years. It's a great story that he's gone to the championship and like he's t- he's you know he's t- he's taken off and and like that is a great trajectory but but clearly look we could do a lot more to improve the pathways for for our players here Andy Lyons like bows are now full time but even moving to Shamrock Rovers in a full time system really pushed him on in the space of a year so imagine like what we could do for a lot of players we have coming through if we had something really established for them at 16 17 18 mm. so that they don't lose loads of errors relative to um, you know opportunities and of course it's not going to be as ever as good as what you, you can get in some of the elite academies around the world but I mean in some cases here we've we've almost next to nothing um, and really I think if people get involved with this team in May that's terrific um, but any politicians who are getting on board with it need to be pointed out that and there are benefits to this like it's not just it's not just give us loads of money to spend on wages of senior players that day is gone there can be ways of like Laying down clearly that there's an educational, a football benefit to this yeah. that benefits us, benefits sort of a you know and, a supporter, which offers a lot to society. Particularly if the trend continues of young people leaving education at junior cert, then certain provisions need to be put in place for their well-being going forward. As they well. will have to be, yeah. That yeah. has to be a part of any deal. So yeah. uh, Mick McCarthy's Blackpool, you love a good mention of Mick McCarthy's uh, Blackpool. Uh, 6-1 winners against uh, QPR this evening so um, he's doing a bit of a job there uh, full time in the Man City game Haaland with the match ball five goals scored football show is brought to you by Sky you can watch Real Madrid against Liverpool in the Champions League tomorrow night live on BT Sport Football on Off The Ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports